about reading? Um, everybody kind of reading somewhere. I, I, I know I've seen, I think Mike is ahead of me on the canonical plan that we're doing. Um, I think Shane is right there with me. Jeff, I think you said you're doing, you're checking them, but you're doing a chronological. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I'm in June right now, month of June. It's kind of doing it in chronological with the church. So I'm kind of skipping around a little bit. So just real quick, though, what where, where are you reading at now? Anything that, that you're kind of interested in right now? Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap up the the end of Job, and um, you know a lot of a lot of good stuff that I've been kind of gleaning off of Job, and you know the response of his friends and how his friends were um, seeking to advise Job more than they were to actually mourn with him during his loss, and um, you know and Job you know even had a sinful response, and so um, it's it's good. Job's a difficult book to read through. Uh, it's a lot of it's very poetic, so it's uh, it's, ta- it's taking taking a lot of time and concentration. But there's a lot of attributes of God. You know, God is not far from him. God is his friend. Um, you know, God sees him through his suffering. So a lot of good things you can glean from the book. Yeah, good. Um, I think it's in. I was kind of trying to look it up, but I think it's in um, Job 33. Um, just the, the structure of Job, sometimes people will read through Job a couple of times and not realize, but um, he's basically got three friends and they go back and forth sort of in order, friend one, two, and three, um, of, 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 of sort of debate, you know, with him in some sense. But um, when it gets to the third friend getting his third conversation, um, he, uh, I was trying to say, I think it's in 31, Job, but um, but anyway, there's a new guy that comes in. It's in 32 Elahu. Elahu, no, yeah. That's, yeah, he's yeah. the younger guy that's, that actually gives a um a better response than his his friends did. Any of the elders, and so yeah. what people don't realize is that that is a, a new character in the story. And I think as you, if you ever take time in the book of Job to just kind of focus in on that. Um, I believe it's sort of a foreshadow of Christ being a mediator because earlier in the book, Job says, if I just had a mediator. And um, another thing interesting about Job is that um, he didn't, he, it was the oldest, it, they say it was the oldest book of the Bible. So he didn't have any kind of written word. Um, he was predated Moses and that kind of thing. So whatever relationship Job had um, with God prior to the end, he didn't have any written scripture. And I, I think one time when I went through that, what's neat about that is to think about if you didn't have, if it, we all have ups and downs, but think about if in a down, you didn't have any scripture to cling to. Um, he, he sort of, you know, what his friends was acting, he didn't have scripture or a church to cling to in his, his, his toughest time. So um, what about you, Shane? You, uh, where are you reading at? Do you, you kind of finish the Exodus and Genesis? Yeah, that, yeah, I tell you what, this is to me. This was a hard week with the uh, <laughs> the reading. Yeah, well, just the Exodus. Um, is it is it twenty six through or, or twenty nine through thirty? Yeah, building the altar. You get that after the just kind of kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have some good points in, in there where they're, um, you know, you got Aaron and building the you know building statutes and false idols and all so there's some good stuff man some of that other stuff yeah. 
I, I think this year I've committed, I, I probably right now listen to at least an hour a day of, of Bible. Um, and um, so last year that ain't where I was at, but, but one of the things just as a big picture thought is, um, you know, you listen to stuff all the time. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts and even audio books and stuff like that. And um, I really got to it through this 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 month of January with all the drama that maybe Trump would still get elected and Biden wouldn't get inaugurated. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos trying to keep up with every little detail. And at some point, I just realized with this negative spirit that was on me, and I said, you know, I got to bring everything captive. And so what I did was when I woke up, instead of the first thing I did was looked at the news, um, started engaging and listening to the Bible. And so I kind of made a commitment that until I listened to 15, 30 minutes of the Bible, I wasn't going to look at that. So even if you're eager to look at that YouTube world news, if you do it after 30 minutes of the Bible or whatever, 15 minutes of the Bible, um, then you know, it, it changes the way because you've already put your hope in Christ before you go worrying about the, the woes of the world. Um, so that, that was helpful. I also found if I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep, I would throw some earphones in. I've got some Bluetooth by the bed I keep, and I just play those and don't, don't disturb my wife. And I found like that was better than trying to get up and watch TV or just sitting there and, um, and pout or whine or stress, you know, throughout the night. Um, I found like that was a better course of action. So I, I still believe a regular 15 minutes of actually looking at a paper Bible and taking some notes and work through it. So I, I still think that's super important, but uh, I found there's so much of my day that I can just listen, you know, whether it be driving back and forth in your car and you get some quiet time. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like it, it makes a real spiritual difference for me. So what about you, Keith? Uh, oh, but as far as you're fixing to jump in a little bit, it gets Shane, so it's not going to get better. <laughs> so, <laughs> Much worse. <laughs> but but I, but I do try to have a couple different streams going. You know, we were trying to do this to be a little more simple as a group this time, but um, but don't hesitate to 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 get in some New Testament to kind of, you know, I say that a good gravy can make any bad food taste taste good. So <laughs> find something you like. What you think, Keith? Yeah. Anything? Uh, not much. Just, just trying to get through. Falling, I fell behind a little bit this past week or so. So, trying to pick up the pace and find that quiet time. So, where are you at? You, you in Genesis or Exodus? Or how you wrap up Genesis and get into Exodus and go? Okay. Well, good. When you get to Exodus in a little bit, remember, you know, um, they say that the great, you know, um, redemptive event of the Old Testament is the Exodus, and it's compared to the New Testament redemptive event of the cross. But make sure you note after those 10 plagues, when they put the blood over the doorpost, what saves them? You know, um, that they, don't, don't go too fast through that. And if you finish in Genesis and you're looking at Joseph, you know, the thing is repentance there. Um, you know, he led them to to repentance. He kept working on them until they, they completely confessed their sins of the past and um and there was reconciliation. So don't miss those gospel points when you're navigating through there. How about you, Paul? You and you and Romans, is that what you've been doing? Yeah, I just I just finished out Romans and uh um uh, been working through uh that uh I got a 
six six books Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon on prayer and spiritual warfare so I've been working through that it's, it's pretty awesome and then of course I stepped down from teaching for a little while to be part of a marriage class at our church so I'm you know me and Martha had to, had to take time to work through you know through our weekly lessons in there too so um yeah. so I'll probably jump into another year Bible plan at some point but uh at the moment, I'm not. I'm just kind of taking some separate books, and of course, John that we're doing here, First John. So. Yeah. Well, good. Well, um, so let's uh, jump into it. Um, I, I, I give Mike 20 seconds if he wants to jump in. If he has anything, if not, we'll move on. Um, let's see. Hey guys, morning. Hey brother, yeah, how I you doing? Just, I was. I was just going to tell Shane, yeah, the, there's some um, there's some dry land ahead of you, <laughs> so <laughs> so hang on. I'm, I'm in Leviticus right now, so there's a lot of rules and regulations and a lot of things that I'm thankful that we're not under anymore. You know, so um, just keep pressing through. I will say, like last year, I I kind of fell behind, and then I would try to keep up, and then eventually I just threw in a towel. So. Um, and I, and yeah, I, I originally saying. did it in the, in the perspective that, you know, cause I know at the, you know, the last portion of every day, you kind of, you can jot down notes of what, uh, you know, what you, what you picked up from that particular, um, scripture or whatever. And, um, and I, I felt like we were doing it as a team and it was, it was hard once you fall behind to catch back up. So I, I figured this year I would just get on it. And if I, if I get ahead of you guys or whatever, just, just know that I'm pushing through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think getting ahead a couple of days pays its dividends. If you do have a bad day, you know? Yeah. Um, well, all right. Well, let's, let's look at uh, the text uh, this morning. Um, we did the last two verses um, last week. Um so let's just read a, a few sections real quick. And I got a couple of things I want to say is um, verse in two, three, it says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whatever, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So there's a lot in that text. I'll, I'll point out, point out a couple of things for you to start thinking about. Um, um, Mike's father-in-law used to say a lot in his Bible study is, is, uh, the, when it comes to, say, the doctrine of assurance, knowing that you're saved, knowing that you're in Christ, he always pointed um, people to, to First John. Uh, I knew an, another pastor one time that tried to, you know, to get people to memorize the book of John, First uh, John, which is 2,500 words, um, if you wanted to know. Um, I looked at, at that the other day. Um, but, um, but, but I looked at I looked it up this this phrase and and I, I'm gonna continue to look at it make sure I'm not missing none as we work through the book. But this phrase by this if you do a search of by this it's actually in the um, it's in the book of John eleven times. So here in this short little paragraph 
um, it says twice this by this. And so in verse three, and by this, we know that we have come to know him, which is an, a fundamental point. Um, and then in, in five B, it says by this, we know that we are in him. So, um, be sure that as you're reading through the book of John, that you notice those by, by these, this statements. And maybe even if it's helpful to you, pull those, pull those out, um, and maybe even use them as a verse that you can memorize. But, um, but even if you don't do that, make sure that you realize that the author's intent here at these words he's saying is for your, your assurance. Um, and then the other word here that I highlighted, um, was, was no, um, uh, let's see, I see four times here in the text. It says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him, which is the exact same thing I just read. And whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. The love of God is perfected by this. We know that we are in him. So in both cases, it talks about knowing that we're in him, you know, and, and, and then it, it brings the commandments in there. But I did a little research. Um, this text a little further down says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. But I did a little bit of research. Um, the top five words that John uses um, is um, the positive words is, um, is love is, is, is used 52 times. Abide is used 39 times. Um, then in the 25 range, you have um, sin, I think is third place, um, is like 26, 27 times. And then um, the world is used like 24 times. I think a bot is used 25 times. But what I started thinking about is the positive words of bod, love, and no. If you look at how they're generally used throughout text, uh, throughout scripture, and especially in the in the books of John, they sort of all mean the same thing. They, you know, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've known the Father, you know you know me because I'm speaking on His accord. So it speaks to this unity. It speaks when we talk about abide, abiding in someone. It it speaks of this source of strength on the same page. But I thought about it just a couple things. Is it the Bible starts off? Where uh, where Adam says he knew his wife, which is a form of intimacy. When you get into First Samuel um, with Hannah, it says he knew his wife. Uh, you you see this quite a few different times in Scripture where um, know and knew, you know knew K, K N E W um, is a form of intimacy. So one of the things I thought I've, I've shared this before, but if you break know into three parts. If you took and you asked and it was raining outside and you asked one of your young children, you said, you know, what, what's the weather like outside? They could tell you it's raining or it's daylight or dark. Um, so there's a simple form of knowledge that is used sometimes when we're talking about knowledge. Um, but there's also a more specialized knowledge like um, everyone's profession. You have something in mind. I'm a phone man. So the color code is something that usually most people outside of the, of the phone company do not know, but I could go to another phone guy and say, what's the color code for number 23, 123. And he could tell you without any effort because it's a specialized knowledge that we've learned related to our, our field. 
Um, but that's the second degree of knowledge, but that know, like, you know, with your wife or, you know, with your children or, you know, with your Lord brings into an intimacy. It's a special sort of knowledge, but it also brings into an intimacy. I sent out a quote, uh, this week, um, and it, it was, um, from Isaac, was it Isaac Newton or who was it from? I don't know if one of y'all read it, but I know what the quote said was that uh, it was it had um the evolution guy in there darkens or whatever and uh but but what it said is it said a little bit of knowledge will make you an atheist and a lot of knowledge will make you a christian and i thought that as i've been thinking through this word um of no or knowledge uh lately i thought that was a classic uh, a good good article and a good um phrase for me to consider because we live in a world where in church, um, there's been a, 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 a pushback on fundamentalism, you know, as, as far as church people that, that were stale and dry and just teaching the word and theology and stuff like that. You know, the attack came in the form of, um, you don't care about me. You're not personal and all this kind of stuff. And so what's happened over a shift of 20, 30 years is we went from absolutely knowing some truths about God to everything being um, um, challenged or our skeptic attitude towards it, where you create more of a relative culture where nobody believes in anything. You know, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Uh, we can just agree to be, disagree, but we never really um, seek solid knowledge. Um and so anyway, I want to just kind of bring that to the table this morning as, as we talk, um, you know, that, that little quote, you know, maybe what do you, what do any of you think about that? Um, and then of course the text. So I didn't mean to go on a run on sentence there, but, um, what you think, um, Jeff? You know, I, I like the uh, distinction you make of the, the three levels of knowing, and, and I believe that here it's talking about that third level of knowing, more of the intimacy, the close relationship of knowing. And um, there's a couple of ideas here just in this passage. One is um, keeping his commandments is equivalent to keeping his word. Um, but, you know, not everybody who strived to keep commandments were knew him. Remember the Pharisees, they they strove you know, very hard to keep his commandments, but they were also trying to find loopholes. So for me, I've, I know the application here is, is to try to be one who keeps his word. And I think keeping his word is just seeking after the desires of God's heart and trying to um, align with him in that way and not just try to keep a list or, um, you know, here's all the commandments that we have to keep and, and checking them off. Um, I think that's a way of, of, uh, being intimate with him and knowing him is just seeking after his, his heart. That's good. And, and I, I think, I mean, Mike brought this up last time that keeping the commandments and like what you're saying, is not a, a checklist that we do. If we're doing it that way, we're trying to kind of save ourselves. We're trying to do it on our own power. Um, but what this is saying, it, it uses this a lot, the commandments, but what this is saying is that that if you're in him, your heart is changed and you you have a, a different attitude towards those commandments. You just, you know, you're not as hostile towards them. Like as I was praying, I'll give you two things is um 
two questions you know about knowledge is if someone asks you um where what book they need to read about for forgiveness um you know in the bible like hey i i want to know what god's word says about forgiveness like what what book would you tell them to go read Yeah, there's forgiveness throughout, um, you know, one of the four Gospels for sure, because Jesus was the one who came to forgive sins. And But but so the idea here is in a traditional book that you would buy off the shelf, it would probably have forgiveness in the title. So you would say, read this book or it would have a section on forgiveness. But when you look through the table of contents of the Bible, there's no section that says forgiveness. And if you go to the back and you look up the word forgiveness, it's probably all over the, you know, the, the, the Bible. And so the, the idea about knowledge here, and that's what I was thinking about. I wanted to bring up is, so we live in a culture where we'll say religion divides or theology divides or whatever. But the idea of theology is that someone that becomes very familiar with scripture would take these points, whether it be forgiveness or what scripture says about sin, and he, he, they'll make a doctrine or a theology, and they'll say, this is what I see that the Bible speaks about forgiveness. And let's just say the Bible speaks 25 concepts about forgiveness, and person A uh, considers 15 and makes a statement of faith, and the other one considers 10, and then maybe another one considers all 25, but they all make statements of faith, and the three of them come together, and they say, this is what I believe the Bible actually communicates about about, faith, about forgiveness. And as they interact together, they say, yeah, I see that. I, I didn't see that scripture, and, and they collaborate back and forth, but eventually they get pretty close to it being right about what the Bible says about forgiveness. And they have a theological statement that's absolutely firm and solid foundation that they can stand on about forgiveness. And then that should encourage them to do that about sin and about the attributes of God and so on and so forth. But when someone comes so go back to the quote, quote, a little bit of knowledge can make you an atheist, but a lot of knowledge can make you a Christian. So a little bit of knowledge can make you come to the conclusion that scripture contradicts itself and that, that the, the words of no value to you. But a lot of knowledge says, Hey, you know, I used to think that way, but this adds up to this. And you know, this, this explains this. And so I was thinking about a four point thing is so when they talk about systematic theology, a lot of times um, R.C. Sproles will say this. He'll he'll say um, R.C. Sproles will say, um, always get pushback from my students when I try to talk about systematic theology because their their first impression is that I'm trying to force a system of thinking on the scripture, and so we should always push back against that. We never do that. We allow scripture to create you know, a, a system of thought, just like what I shared with, say, forgiveness. Um, you get very familiar with scripture. You find certain things it keeps saying about um, forgiveness. And the Bible has a, a tendency to move from topic to topic, it, from forgiveness to something else and something else, something else. So sometimes you have to do the work of saying, all right, forgiveness is what I need to be sh- shored up on right now. Where does the Bible in the 66 books of Bible talk about that? So anyway, you get a, a firm foundation on forgiveness. 
And so that's a system of thought, but it's, but it's not something you forced on the scripture and you went and twisted all the scriptures to, to, to say what you wanted for forgiveness, but, but you let it just naturally organically come from that. The next thing that follows after that, after a theological statement is a philosophy. Everybody has a philosophy. There is truth. There isn't truth. Democrats are bad, Republicans are good, whatever your philosophy thought is, but but where that is, is that's where you bring your bias to the table. So when you're looking at scripture and you have a preconceived, um, you know, pattern that you want to see, let's take, for example, like love and wrath. Um, God is in scripture recorded as a God of love, but he's also recorded as a, a God of judgment and wrath. So if my philosophical bias is that God is nothing about love and that's all I want to talk about, it's all I want to think about, then any scripture that talks about wrath or judgment, I'm going to ignore. And so at that point, I begin to, to, to drive myself to worship a God that's not the God of the Bible. And then the fourth thing I would just add to that is, is action. Um, you know, we can, we can see like in a social justice mu- movement um, where if, if, if you want to be on the right side of history, you need to be doing this, this and that. Well, that's an action that whatever action we do should be an action that comes from, from scripture, then sound theology, then right, right thinking or philosophy, and then the action comes and not the other way around. And so we live in a world sometimes that that the whole system is turned, turned upside down where let's, let's have action, let's have emotions, let's have some philosophy. And then, you know, so, so that very initial thing that when you say systematic theology and people push back because they don't want you to force a system on the scripture where they're doing that, you know, by starting with action, instead of making sure that they're familiar with the scripture, that the, 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 the pillar t- tenets that they're, they're building their life on is, is, is theologically sound, that they're submitting their thinking to the word of God and then letting action come from that, um, you know. So anyway, I, I thought through that when I was going, I guess that was another tangent. I don't have to sh- shut up so we can move on. But, but I wanted to say that about knowledge, because do you see how the Pharisees could have took the wrong path in knowledge? You see how um, people in our culture, in our churches, in our community take the wrong paths on knowledge. But yet when you take the right path, how, how, how exciting and glorious can it be? You can have hope that's undescribable you know, and, and other good things like that. So, so, uh, Shane, you got anything? Um, you're in the top, top corner here. You got anything on, on this passage or what are we talking about there? The only thing I thought about is a lot of people would say, keep his commandments is legalistic. And, you know, like Jeff was saying, Pharisees try to do it, but at the same time, I know, you know, whenever you have that hunger and zeal and I always go back to when I first got saved, I, the hunger and, and zeal was a lot more prevalent than it is for me now, but I wanted to keep those commandments. Now I have sometimes because I'm not always in the word, I'm not in prayer. It's like a chore to keep commandments. Like oh, I got to do it like this. Well, it's, it's a matter of the heart. You know, it's a, um, it's a fruit. It's the fruit of where you are in your walk and keeping the mm-hmm. commandments. 
So it can almost be like a little gauge that you, when you say, Hey, I'm struggling with keeping the commandment. And then you, you notice, you notice that, Hey, I'm not reading like I should. I'm getting distracted by the world. That's Would you right. agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you can take it on both ends of the spectrum and, um, you know, be unbiblical. You're on the one side, you got the charismatic or, you know, wouldn't be, well, it wouldn't be charismatic, but the, the ones that say you, should, you have freedom in Christ, you have freedom in Christ. You can do whatever, you know, it's not a license to sin, but, um, I mean, you know where I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, but that, that's something to dive into because so, so that's, that's the way we've, we've, we've bounced back and forth. It's, it's not a license to sin, but what he's, what he's focusing in here is he's calibrate. He's, you know, he's laying out the gauge here. Um, you know, when you're honest with yourself, which I don't, I know it uses the word, I'm trying to see if it's here, but last week we used the word deceive. Um, we deceive ourselves. Um, it, like it says in verse eight, if we say, uh, chapter one, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so if you look like here in verse four, it says, whoever says I know, but does not keep the commandments, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. So here he's using the same kind of thought process. One, he's saying that I have no sin. And then here he's saying that um, he doesn't, you know, uh, what was that? that he's, he's pointing out that you're not keeping the commandments, but, he, but the, the result is the same. He's saying you're a liar and the truth is not in him. See, like in verse 10, it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so, you know, back to what I said by this, which was said twice in this little paragraph we're looking at, um, what he's doing is he's giving you a gauge, a gas gauge, so to speak, a spiritual gas gauge to say, if you're wrestling, like be honest with yourself, quit deceiving yourself. If, if you're wrestling with, with these concepts and you really don't delight with, with God's word, there's something wrong, you know, under the hood. But also when you find yourself at peace and at rest and realizing that this is the way you should go, have confidence, have assurance that, that you're not, you know, go back to um, Matthew 16 where Peter confesses Jesus is Christ. And he says, you, you are the, you are the Christ. And he says, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, but my father in heaven, um, you know, if I think that's how that says it or, or the spirit of, of above or something, but, but, but here, when you see yourself delighting in God's command and doing it, it's a work of the Holy spirit working in you. Um, and, and so that's, that's a sign and a seal that, um, that you're in him, that you're his child. That apart from being his child, you're not going to do that. So when you're struggling with it on and on and on, you come back to, to point A, am I in Christ? You know, hmm. you agree with that or? Hmm. Yeah. So what you think, Keith? Uh, just kind of like what Shane said, you know, we come to a time it's where the have to's become want to's. Uh, and it's with the transformation that the Lord's worked in us. And I keep thinking about the rich young ruler. You know, he did all these things, but yet what I think the biggest part of him was the love he had for his fellow man and so forth. He he went away and 
hope I'm not twisting, trying to reach out in that too much, but um, it's a conviction of the heart and where we're at with our heart. And, um, and I just like to, because I'm, I've had that happen to me sometimes too. You know, it's just, I, I need to do this. I have to do that. It's not about that. It's about wanting to, you know, in that relationship mm -hmm. and growing close with the Lord. I actually thought about that passage too, Keith, whenever I was reading through this about keeping the commandments, it made me think of the rich young ruler as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, and please forgive me. I don't want to get on, you know, it's like the works and the, the works of the faith, you know, it's where you, you know, what side of the sea do you fall on at times? But, mm -hmm. but it's, it's so I, important, I, I, like what we, what we're doing Dennis is encouraging each other to go through the word. I think it was in John 17, where that during the high priestly prayer, he says, sanctify them in, in the truth. And then he defines what truth is. And he says, your word is truth. And so here in this passage, it's saying, it's talking about keeping his word. And um, that's why it's so important to, to not get lax or, or to just persevere with reading through it. And any, right. any time of the day, we can budget for it, like you were saying. And so I would, I would say one other thing that, that, you know, that about knowing why it's sort of precious to me is, um, and based on what you're saying, I like the way you said it, Keith, um, the have to's become the want to's, um, we ought to, we ought to go ahead and phrase that one. That was a pretty good little quote, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but what I was going to say is that, um, so if we go back to how we started the Luke series, there's these disciples in the boat and, and, and Jesus winds up saying, ye a little, little faith, you know, why do you have such little faith? And then we get to the story with the centurion and he says, you know, you don't have to come under my roof. I'm under authority and this kind of thing. And then the knowing of the authority that Christ would have, Christ, he, he just, he responds to just knowing that Christ is amazing. And um, he makes a statement, and Christ calls that. He says, out of all of Israel, I haven't seen any faith like that. And so I think often we approach faith the wrong way, that we're, we, we come from it trying to muster it up within strength of ourselves. But if we would spend more time getting to know the Lord that created us and the Lord of the Bible, the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, I think, you know, when you see the, the amazing things that he's done, that ought to affect your faith. You know, if you would have seen him deliver you out of out of Exodus without you raising a weapon and you taking all their stuff, you know, and this kind of stuff. If you would have seen him parting the Red Sea and killing your enemy and giving you man and all that, you would think you wouldn't have grumbled. You know, of course they did. But but. But but I just I've, I've learned to think at it a different way, and that's why this word knowing is important. It's because I think a lot of people can't trust in Christ because they don't know the the Christ of the Bible, you know, because that little bit of knowledge well, it's too hard for me. Um, you know, they go they get to Le they start off strong and they get to Leviticus and they say it's too hard for me because you know I I told Hope at dinner I said I said. I was fellowshipping in holiness in the book of Le Leviticus this morning. And they both looked at me and started laughing. And I said, I said, I really don't know what they were talking about, but I know this, they were sprinkling blood, um, sprinkling blood 
and they were burning fat. (laughs) And I thought about that simply is that God is so just, this is what I thought, I might be wrong, but God is so just that every sin that has ever been done, that some flesh has to burn and some blood has to be spilt for it. And so before Christ, they were burning fat and spilling blood so that they would realize that this is the cost of sin. And I'm, I'm overlooking your sin by burning fat and sprinkling blood, which when you get to Exodus in the doorpost and the blood, somebody had to die, you know, you know, for, for, for your sin. So I think we'll find out one day that not, there won't be one sin that wasn't covered by blood and, um, and, and burning of fat. And so in, that's why I said, I'm, I'm just having holy worship time in Leviticus because that one little bit of me realizing that, that from the very beginning, someone had to, had to answer for the sins of mankind, you know? Um, so anyway, what you think, Paul? Oh, it kind of, you know, Shane said that, that a lot of people think that when he talks about obey my commands, that it's, um, that it's the law and all. But um, I really think what Jesus is saying here is he's referring to when he says, you know, love the Lord God with your whole heart, soul, mind and strength and then love your neighbor as as yourself and that trumps everything. And as we go on through first John, he's going to talk a lot more about the love your neighbor as yourself and, and, you know, and, and deeds, not, not just in words. So um, I also had written down what uh, Jeff said about uh, in John 17, um, when Jesus is praying, Lord, let them be in fellowship and unity with me and with each other and with you, like, the same as me and you have, Father God and, and Jesus, Son of God. So um, what he's really saying here to me is that, you know, it's time, you know, it's time for you to to walk with me. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. But he's saying it's time for you to surrender all of your life to me and love me more than, you know, LSU football game whatever your job you're doing, whatever your hobby is, whatever you like to eat or drink, even love me more than you love your, your wife and your children. And you know, that can only be done through the, the abiding in him and how the Holy Spirit helping you get through that. Um, and and when, you, when you do that, you're truly walking with him and, and that's evidence of your, of your true salvation. And that's evidence for your love with him. When when you put him above everything else and then and then you live that out with your um you know relationship and fellowship with with other you know with mankind along with that so yeah that's good um mike did you want to jump in do you have a second I'm actually fixing to hop in the car, so I'm be driving. But um, yeah, I agree with all everything that's being said. So. <laughs> Amen. Your response. Yeah. Well, um, well, let's let's look at this these next two sections. I'd, I'd like to finish up with the world um, before we run out of time. But um, um, anybody before we close on that last one, did anyone have anything they wanted to say before we move on? 
Yeah, I just, I just had a, it, it's about the obedience, you know, there's so much obedience to that, I just had a note, I mean, our actions should, our actions should confirm our salvation and not secure it, you know, uh, it's just so much of the obedience that we should, um, I, know, I know that's a whole nother subject in a discussion that we could do on that alone, but it's yeah, our action, you know, the old simple thing of action speaks louder than words, right? But how did you say it? Action should confirm your action your action confirms your salvation, not secure it. And not secure it. Well, all I'm gonna say is Keith is full of one liners today and we need to write all those down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm right, no doubt. He's got the the how tos to come to the want tos, and the I've got yeah, one. Shot. And I'll close with one more at the end. I thought was astounded ties from last week, so I'll be quiet. Forgive me. <laughs> All right. So um, verse seven below. He said, "Peter, do you truly love me?" And then Peter said, "Yes, Lord, I love you." And then what did Jesus say? He's my sheep. Yeah. So, mm. There's some, there's some action, there's action involved in Jesus' teaching when he was, you know, consoling Peter and, and bringing him back in from when he, he you know, when he disowned him, you know, before the crucifixion. But I mean, it's pretty clear there that he's, what he's speaking into Peter's life is, uh, there's some action involved there. Yeah. Um, so verse seven, beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So who wants to jump off in that? We got darkness and light. We got a body again. We got loving or hating your brother. Old commandment, new commandment. How how y'all want to unpack that there? Yeah, I mean I know. I mean darkness is obviously obviously sin, and and light is is you know walking with Christ and walking in the Spirit. Um, he talks about it's not a new thing what he's telling you because. Um, and, and Deuteronomy 5, the Shema, it's in the Old Testament, it talks about love the Lord God with all your heart, soul. And then there's somewhere else in the Old Testament where it talks about, in Moses' teachings, it talks about, you know, love your brother. You should love your brother, your neighbor, basically. Um, so, so he's just saying that this isn't anything new, but it's you know, like being re-emphasized here. Jesus is, and then John following up on that is re-emphasizing something that was an old command and an old message from you know years past in the Old Testament. Nah, that's good. Um, I was thinking about um, Genesis four. 
Cain and Abel there um, in in that text. Um, when he came and asked him, I mean, you hear in Genesis three, he's like, Adam, where are you? And he's like, you know, I, I was naked, so I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Well, then in Genesis four, you um, see this offering where God's pleased with one because he sort of gives the first fruit, and the other one gives the leftovers, and um, and and he gets angry about it. And he says, Why are you so angry? And he's like, if you do right, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be rewarded, you know, there? And, um, and anyway, he goes to kill his brother and he's like, am I my brother's keeper and the blood of your brother, um, cries out from the ground to me, you know, and this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, and even in, in, in the gospels where he says, if you have hate in your heart, you commit murder against your brother. I guess that's in, um, Matthew five, Matthew six or something, maybe Matthew seven, but right there. Between five and seven, I think it's in chapter seven, but uh, but all of those, you know. So he's he's bringing in hate. He's bringing in your brother, you know, in in all this. Uh, but he's, you know, I, I think again, he's he's talking about are we honest with ourselves? It's amazing how we can choose to deceive ourselves, um, and that actually is hiding in the darkness, um, you know. Like, I didn't want to get up this morning because it was dark and the bed was the right temperature and all that. I mean, we have that where we like to stay, uh, you know, I like to, if you, y'all watch the, uh, what was it called? The the Gremlins, I think, but they would have the little cute one he, when they'd open the door, he'd be like, bright light, bright light, you know, because he, he liked that dark. So what do you think, Jeff? You got something on that text there? Yeah, this this whole concept of um, of darkness and light. Um, each man on this call, including myself, was part of the kingdom of darkness at one point point in our lives. We were self focused and and we didn't um, care about our neighbor. We didn't. We had um, a complete a kingdom of self centeredness, and um, and we still fight fight that from time to time. But when we're called into the light. It's it's being this others focused, and if we're if we're doing one liners, I had an acronym that uh, was told to me. It's living out joy, Jesus first, others next, and yourself last, and uh, spells mm-hmm. out J O Y. And so, uh, when you're when you're called out of the kingdom of darkness, you truly do have love for others and wanting the, you know, love is wanting the best for somebody and doing something about it. And so it's. Um, you're, you're not so focused on yourself and you truly are loving your brothers and, and, um, you know, doing what you can to help them and, and live out truth. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Did he I now say, sorry, he said, huh? Hey, Jane, I'm sorry. I always say whenever I first got saved, a lot of the relationships with the, my friends changed a lot. Um, and I wasn't as close with them, but I, I knew I cared about them more than I ever did whenever we were always together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The different type of care for them now, huh? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Keith? Keith, you want to finish, finish this up on this one? Um, I, I just love the hope and um, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know, and it goes on and talks about abiding in the light, no cause for stumbling. And I just love the hope in that. We know the darkness is passing away and the light's getting brighter and brighter. Even 
you know, in the mess we're in in this country and world right now. But uh, I just that just stuck out to me. The darkness is passing away. You know, stay with the Lord and you know, look yeah. to the light. Look to the light. Whatever phrase that was in, but not much on that. Um, but I, I I just love the hope that's in there that the Lord gives us with that. I like the last, the way that finishes up, just, just for, for the content of what it says, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, you know, just, you know, what's, what's, what's the consequences of, 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 how would I say that? Responding to the lure of darkness, it blinds our eyes. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times some things that people do, you're like, why do they do that? And I think it's just because the darkness has blinded their eyes. Um, mm. um, so this next one, I don't think we'll spend a lot of time on it. We're running out of time. I, you know, unless someone is brilliant and has a, a great, you know, take on what to do with this. But um, it's sort of poetic. It uses little children, fathering and young men, you know, um, kind of in a cycle here. Um, so we'll try to unpack what, what he's saying. Um, I actually looked at this in my mind. Um, hopefully this is helpful. Um, someone else may have a different way of looking at it, but little children being when you first got saved, fathers being you've been saved for a while and young men, you're kind of in, in the prime of your salvation. And so he's kind of saying the same thing, but just a little bit different. So let's, let's just read it. Um, it, It'll talk to each three groups twice. Um, I'm writing to you, you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So if you think about to a new believer, uh, maybe a good thing to tell them is that their sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. And then I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Uh, maybe when you're talking about fathers, you're talking about someone that has actually been around long enough. They see that all 66 books of the Bible work together. And so those ideas like in the beginning with John starting his gospel um, and introducing Christ and in the beginning with creation, maybe he sees that big framework. Um, and then it's, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Um, I think about, I thought I knew everything in my 20s, but but this would have been a good word for me in my 20s because I didn't realize how much I still had left um, left to learn. Um, but but he says because you have overcome the evil one, a young person has strength. They feel like an adult. They can take care of themselves. They don't need mom and dad anymore. But they still have a lot of life to live out, um, and they need to be thankful that they've overcome the evil one um, at, at their age. And then he starts over again. I write to you children because you know the father. So think about those first believers. Your sins are forgiven for Christ's namesake and you know the father. That's where we start our relationship with the Lord. And then he says, I write to you fathers <laughs> because you know him was from, from the beginning, which is about the same thing he said the first time. Uh, maybe it's appealing to the wisdom of the fathers if you're not in the youth anymore make sure you're making disciples make sure you're framing up the the, the young people you're you're protecting for the young um yeah i don't know if you ever had this with your kids where, where you, your older kid maybe learned something 
And then when the younger, let's say riding a bike or something, and then the younger kid comes along to ride the bike and they make fun of them. You know, maybe sometimes us fathers, us older Christians need to make sure that the young men don't make fun of the new believers. Um, and then, um, because you never get in the last one, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So for, in both cases, when it speaks to the young men, he talk, he reminds them that they've overcome the evil one. And I think it speaks to the youth of the church that they shouldn't become arrogant. They ought to realize that their youth is a, a blessing from God right now. Um, don't become arrogant, but realize you've overcome the evil one. Now go out and help some other people with your youthful energy help them overcome the evil one. So I think it kind of frames up a family from young to wise. And then, then the heartbeat right there in the middle. Um, anybody else, you know, have a different take on that, that, that poem or, or, or what you got from that? I thought it was interesting because in both of the verses of the fathers, it's, the, mm -hmm. it's, it's constant because you know him who is from the beginning. You know, you develop, you're rock solid where the children, you know, you've been forgiven and you have come to know him. And the young men, because you have conquered the evil one, you're strong. But the fathers remain constant. You know him from the beginning. You know it's the maturity, that pilgrimage of matureness and, and walking with the Lord. I don't, I just thought that was interesting that the fathers are the, it doesn't change in that in those uh, two verses. Yeah. Well, it's almost like when he, when he says, um, when he, cause he says the same thing twice to the fathers and you've known him from the beginning. So that's almost like it encompasses all the other. Yeah. The children and the young men is all encompassed in the, in the fathers who are like Keith said are the wise older men, but they've gone through those, those three steps. And they've known him from the beginning, so it encompasses all the other things he said about the different age categories. And he just repeats that twice on them because they're they're there, they've experienced it, been there, and know it, and yeah, I like carry to keep, it on. Yeah, I like to keep it that too, Paul. It's the experience. It it's the obedience of following that walk, like Paul talks. You know that marathon. You know it's the experimental relationship you have with him right yeah what i what i find at at 46 my eyes are going bad my memory's going bad my hands hurt and i'm not as young as i used to and as i was praying the other day is um so let's just take the baby boomer generation and we'll call it x y and z and that's where we're at z now or, or about 20 or so or maybe a little bit younger than that but we need to pray for what he calls here young men uh, are the youth we need to be praying for the youth because i think even if you look at the old testament you know one of the ways god would discipline the nation is he would he would affect the youth because they were at the fighting age so to speak um it was the strength of the of the culture so um you know they would they would do consensus sometimes or i guess i'm saying it right but but it was it was of the of men that could go to battle um, I don't know if I'd be qualified as a man that can go to battle at this, this day and age, but, um, but whatever the case, um, I was, I was going around and, and so from a point of wisdom, 
and you look at certain things and you say, we've got to change here. Um, but, but God just really put on my heart that he's going to change things through the youth. Um, every generation has a youth that rises up um, and makes a stand for, for, for its day and age. And so my point is, is just, you know, we need to pray for our youth. Um, you know, we have certain ideas and thoughts we could incorporate, but, but God's going to use them, you know, and, and, um, and our prayers make a difference that they, you know, I can look over my Christian life and there are certain things that just stuck with me. Um, like Keith made two one-liners, but there's certain things that just when you hear it, it just sticks. And it may not look like it's sticking, but it is sticking. And so my point is, is we need to pray as fathers for young men that, that there is something sticking in the trenches. And the battles that they're in, that something is sticking. Um, and that's something I think we can do that's, that's absolutely not a waste of our time. And it can give us some hope that, that um, they're still, um, I guess, hope for, for our nation. So anybody else? Um, no, no. All right. So let's finish up here with this last one because I want to get on to this Antichrist um, next time. But this last little three verses here is do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Um, I've been, I'll just make this one quick statement about that text you know the, the, we've got one two three four six six times the world jews here and i think john uses it 24 times so it's in it's in the top five it's an important um idea to think about um keith brought up the rich young ruler a while ago and it's he said sell all you have and you'll have um <coughs> you'll have treasures in heaven um, and we, we think about the point where it says treasures in heaven, the value is where rust and moth does not destroy. Um, when that text ends, Peter says, look at all we've given up, you know, and he says, nothing you give up will be forgotten about. Um, but so I, so I had a guy yesterday, uh, say Friday morning, recommend Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and I'd never read it, but I'd heard about it. And, you know, I mean, has everybody heard of Pilgrim's Progress? Um, how many people have read it? I got a copy if you want to borrow it. You want to, I got a hardback yeah. copy. It's, I mean, actually on Right yeah. Time Video, they got a good little, it's kind of one of those semi-animated that uh, mm -hmm. it follows it. it. It leaves a little bit out, but it follows it pretty good. You can watch it it's, after reading it. It's really, really pretty, mm -hmm. pretty cool to watch. But I, I went through it on audio, audible book um, Friday and um, went through it one time. I was kind of working halfway through it a second time because I missed a few things. But um, but the one thing that was refreshing is that, um, you know, we live in a day where we don't want to preach fire and brimstone. Right. Well, that's the wrath. Hell being a real place 
and the judgment of God is real things, but you all ever see us talk about it. We rarely talk about sin, you know, in churches and preaching of our day. So we've taken out sin out of the equation, which is in the top five list of John's book here. We've taken out um, heaven and hell. I mean, our, our, our judgment in hell. Um, but, but my point is, um, so it was refreshing to hear um, this, the Pilgrim's Progress talk about heaven as a real place, like hell is a real place. Judgment is a real thing. Destruction. And, and, and actually, it talks a lot about struggle, the struggle to get to, to, to heaven and glory. And so um, it's a little bit um, old-timey, you know. It's got the little English um, whatever kind of accent and, and that. But uh, but but just as an overtake of listening to it, I was extremely encouraged. Um, and my spirit was encouraged about like we all have struggles, but if we don't talk, I guess what I'm trying to say is if we don't talk about the consequences of sin, that hell's a real place and a judgment is a coming. And, and this was one thing that he said is um, they had um. They, this was, they had two people there. So everybody has a name. Well, they had two people in there that was called pa- uh, passion and patience. And they both had a promise, you know, of sort of heaven. Well, passion was so ADD or excited that when a, a, a better offer came along, he took it. But he said that this offer, it didn't last very long, that it was worthless. And it kind of reminded me of the rich young, um, uh, not the rich general, the um, prodigal son. He's like, give me my inheritance now. I've got to get out of here. And then he squandered it and it didn't last forever. Well, what he said is patience only had to wait one year, but by waiting one year, he got a prize that was more valuable than anything passion got, but it lasted forever. Where passions just was like, I got to have this right now, but it didn't last. And so it painted that picture that this life is temporary. And, you know, the things that we're acquiring in this world will perish. But the things that we're doing to build for a future in heaven will never perish. And they will far, the treasures will far surpass, you know, what we have. And like, to be honest with you, and, and listen to that book, just as a takeaway, I'm like, we don't talk about that like that. We don't talk about heaven like that. We don't talk about hell like that. We don't talk about the reality of judgment like that. And so um, I'm not quite sure when that book was written. Do you know, Paul? Maybe John Bunyan wrote it in the 16s or 1700s, around and then, just, you know, quite old. He was in, he was actually imprisoned for his faith at the time, he wrote it while he was in jail. I think he was in jail for like, you know, a couple of years. But it's an allegory, uh, everything in there is just symbolic of, of the gospel and the Christian walk. So there's one part in that book, or if you listen to tape, that applies to what we're fixing to read. And I can't remember the, the little the name of the little town he travels through, but it slips my mind, but you say like Carnivalville or something, but when you go there, yeah. it's all the worldly place where, you know, the lusts of the world and, you know, him, he's just trying to pass through, but they won't even let him pass through. So they persecute him because he's different. He's trying to walk in the light and in the truth and not, you know, living out all the lusts of the world. So it's, it, it yeah. applies a lot to, you know, the next section we're reading here, but 
Yeah, if you've never read that book, it's, it's really different, but it's really pretty awesome. And it's pretty obvious that the Holy Spirit guided John Bunyan to write this while he's in, in jail, to come up with an allegory like this that encompasses pretty much all Christian life and the gospel and pretty, pretty, mm -hmm. pretty cool. It's difficult to read some, but it's pretty cool. Anybody got some final thoughts um, on that text? Um, I know we were brief with the world text, so if we need to pick back up on that next week, we can. Um, but but I guess my takeaway, and like we're talking about Pilgrim's Progress, is um, this is not our home. Um, what you think, Jeff? You look like you're ready to go. You got something on that text? Oh, sorry. No, I, I had to step away for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anybody else for me? Keith, Chang? Um, I'll just, if y'all don't mind, I'll share this with y'all. Uh, last week we were talking about the moon and the reflection and all that. I found it in my uh, reading through a commentary on Tony Evans. When the moon shines, it's actually reflecting the light of the sun. Sometimes the earth gets in the way, though, so that the moon's light is diminished. Similarly, we have an enemy that prevents us from reflecting the sun's light on us. The enemy is called the world. I thought that was kind of interesting. I know we had a big take on that, but funny how we get the world gets in the way sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What you think, Shane? Anything before we get out of here? No, I mean that's that's the struggle I think that most Christians would have. Well, I say that not not knowing wholeheartedly but i mean i know myself get wrapped up in the world and making money business and mm -hmm. things like that yeah you know money can further the gospel it can do things but ultimately god god can really further it more than money can that's just a tool so sometimes we get wrapped up in uh whether it's that or vacations or um anything you know that pulls us away from what we truly need to be seeking. That's right. I was looking at that that uh, passage too, that do not love the world or the things of the world. And then you try to reconcile that with, for God so loved the whole world that he sent his only son. So which is it? Are we supposed to love the world? Or are we supposed to not love the world? And, um, you know, the way, the way I reconcile that, and I've heard uh, Kevin DeYoung preach a, a whole sermon on the actual term world. It's not the people in the world. God loves the people in the world. And, and, but what he's talking about here is not loving the world. It's this corrupt system, this fallen system um, that we're not to love or be a part of. Yeah. So sometimes that's, you know, difficult. You read that and then you're like, you know, which is it? You know, so you, you kind of have to push that out a little bit. Yeah. That though, Jeff, it's like when it, you know, when it owns our affections and governs our desires or our choices, it excludes us from God. So where does that leave you, right? Yeah. And, you and, and really that the John 3 passage about loving the world, it's, it's he didn't love the corrupt system that we're in, but right. he did love the people that he came, you know, to rescue and, and offer salvation to. I don't know. I'd have to research that what the actual Hebrew word is. For both of those parts where you put the world there is translated like that. But yeah, that's that's exactly right. He's he's talking about God so loved the world, he loved loves us. But mm -hmm. then when he's talking about uh, 
for us not to love the world. It's, you know, the, the Satan system of government, antichrist, opposing, opposing the one true God. Um, I'm trying to find that DeYoung sermon. I think he was actually speaking at a conference and I, I can send the link out. I thought it was very helpful because he, he did go over the different Greek words that's used for, um, for world. I'll leave study. I was going to say my my study Bible says in this this verse here in sixteen seventeen, what they mean by worldliness is sensuality, materialism, and pride. Now, how where they got that from, I don't know. I can't really see. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, well, consider. I want to leave us a doctrine to consider for for next week, and um, it'd be the doctrine of original sin, and um, I think it'll fit in with what we're going to talk about um, of Antichrist or warning about um, Antichrist um, in the next section. Is um, so there's two possibilities. Um, the we'll call it historical Christianity, and we'll call it progressive Christianity, or whatever. But historical Christianity would say that we were born with a sin nature or original sin and that we would go on to sin and make bad choices because the, the, the desires of a sin nature is inside of us. Um, the other philosophy is that we're basically born pretty much good with no problems and that we get bad um, instructions along the way. And so we sin and we act out because someone teaches us to hate or teaches us to be selfish or whatever have you. And so consider what you think the scripture says about it, what you think about that, you know, which one of those is the, is the right answer, you know, and, and the reason I say that it leads to what we're finishing off with here is because of kind of what Shane said, but if you look at the text, it says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with this desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If you do not see, if you do not see that you have a, an original sin problem that you cannot help yourself with, there's no need for a savior. If you think you're, you know, we're basically good, but you got off track and then it's up to you to get back on track with better teaching and better knowledge and better methods, then there's no point where you really need a savior. You may need a, a, another teacher. So sometimes they say that Jesus was a good teacher. And if you do any study on that, that he wouldn't be a good teacher if he did. If you look at Jesus's full life of what he did. He wouldn't be considered a good teacher if he did some of the things that he did. So the only good answer for him is that he was who he said he was, the son of son of God. So my my point is, um, as as we look in that, um, I want to next week really take a look at, um, you know, the idea of being born again, because if there's no original sin, there's no reason to, you know, it, it affects your philosophy on. If there's no original sin in you, there's no, there's not an original instinct to do wrong, and so there is no reason for a savior, and there is no reason to be born again, which is kind of how we started this text out with um, how to close case one liner. 
the, the have to's become the want to's. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what happens when you're born again is your have to's become your want to's. Um, so anyway, let's, let's, uh, unless anyone has something pressing, they got to say, um, we'll close in prayer. Um, we'll, we'll let Jeff be free. He, he, he may have had to get away, but, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off, and then let's see Shane. Hey, guys, and Paul. I'm, I'm just kind of listening in. I'm sorry. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I'll open, and then Shane, Keith, and Paul, you you close this out. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we were able to come together and, and, um, and uh, meet with you and and um, meet together and, and, and just chew on your word together. Lord, I thank you for what you, you've done as far as um, – helping us with the seed that we had before us this morning. And I ask you to be with each and every one of us as we go to church this morning, as we finish up our weekend, and as we start our, our week next week. I ask you, Lord, that you would um, create opportunity for each and every one of us to, um, to, to get you know, to know you better and to make you known. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Dear Lord, I, I know that um, in, this all, in all this darkness, the, the plat field for platform for us is so much bigger lord and i know you said that the harvest is plentiful i mean the harvest is uh plentiful but the labors are few lord i pray that we just grow and become more and more of those laborers and uh, and disciple more to become uh laborers in this in this tough times whether in this country or around the world locally anywhere lord there's there's always a platform i pray this and give you all the glory in jesus name Father God, we just thank you for the time given to us. We just thank you for your word and just pray, Father, that you will continue to strengthen us and provide us with your wisdom, Lord, as we go through these days, as we start this new week. Just pray, Lord, that you would just be a light unto our path, that we be obedient to your word and to your will, Father God. Be with our families, be with our church families, Lord, as we... uh, go to church and continue to praise and worship your name, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory for this. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father God, Lord, for who you are, Lord, and in your word, Lord, you you say on your authority, Lord, to uh, ask and to seek and to knock, and uh, it will be given to us, and Lord, just Holy Spirit, just guide our hearts to be pure and our, our request to be pure and of your will, Lord, uh, when we come to you and ask of you as your children, Lord, Lord, I just um, repeat from your word in Colossians, Lord, that um, you set your hearts on things above, not on things of things of this earth. For you are dead, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Lord, let us always uh, keep that uh, scripture and many others, Lord, just fresh in our minds and our hearts that uh, we're dead to the world now, Lord. Um, we're dead to the flesh and. Uh, our life is now um, hidden with you, with you, abiding with you uh, in God the Father, Lord, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you, and Lord, be with each family, uh, things that Mike's going through, things that keeps going through, and everybody else, Lord, and just help us to live a God-centered life. And uh, I thank you, Lord, for a testimony on, I got to see on Brother brother Shane, Lord, where he's living a, a, a husband-centered, God-centered uh, marriage and uh, and and ways. Uh, treated Holly and all and the things he's done this week. That's a awesome example. And it holds, hold, definitely holds me accountable to uh, try to set that same standard, Lord, that you ultimately set, Lord. Uh, 
strengthen us, guide us, Lord, and be with all who's sick and, and, and hurting and struggling, Lord, and just, Lord, open eyes of the world to, to see you and to hear you, Lord, and, and all, all mankind become, become saved. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, we'll just do verses 18 to 27, which, have, you know, um, but to fi finish this, this kind of antichrist type thing next week. And then, um, after that, it'll jump into children of God and start to talk about love will become the, the main thing there. So good. Everybody. Sounds good. Enjoy yeah, it. Bye. Love us. Have a good hey, week. Talk to you later. Thank you guys. Have a good week. Take care. Bye -bye.